Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Walker at Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. We'll get to the text line in just a moment. A lot of good text. 704-570-9610. We got in a debate, though, what the best barbecue sauce is out there. And you guys were talking about sweet baby (laughs) West. Put on the boxing gloves, baby. Put them on. Here we go. Talking about barbecue sauce. Yeah, I said Stubbs was the best barbecue sauce out there. And we're just talking about original. No fancy. No getting crazy with it. We're just talking about what is the original recipe of said barbecue sauce. I'm going Stubbs. And you guys both looked at me like I was crazy. And both of you are going Sweet Baby Ray's as the best it's barbecue too, sauce out uh, there. Stubbs is too uh, peppery. That's what I love about it. It's it's not too peppery. It's peppery. I'm going to tell fantastic. you one that you haven't try probably uh this dude g hughes okay he he's a sorcerer because i don't know how he makes sugar-free sauces that taste as good as they taste his barbecue sauces are among my favorites they're award-winning it has it on the label and they're sugar-free and gluten-free but man they're so good i don't know how he does it the first time he got it and i tasted it i'm like how like that was the first thing i said i was like how he has ketchups and other stuff, too. But G. Hughes' barbecue sauces are fantastic. So here's the thing that I'm starting to realize as we kind of talk about it. I don't know how many barbecue sauces I've tried because I just go to Stubbs all the time. I've definitely tried Sweet Baby Ray's a lot because that's what everybody has. I like the one, the Vidalia onion. I don't know if I've had that one. Yeah, I, I, like that. I have not had that one. What about KC Masterpiece? Is their barbecue oh, sauce Oh, that's good? an OG, yeah. That's so, not bad. Is and it, I'm not going to lie, like, low-key, like, back in the day, don't act like, don't turn your nose up at it. But Kraft barbecue sauce was good. I mean, they had some good sauce. But it's going to be fourth out of all the ones we just brought Oh, up. no doubt. I mean, it's probably even lower if you start bringing other ones into the equation. But still, the Kraft barbecue sauce still was pretty good back uh, in the day. 704 number put in, Rendezvous, you have to order it, thank me later. I don't know about Rendezvous, mm-hmm. so I'm going to have to try that. 704 number, a different one said, G. Hughes is goaded. Go ahead and preach, Yeah, G. West Hughes Bryant. is fire, man. I'm telling you. There, I don't know how he does it. There have been multiple people that have told you to preach today because of your rant <laughs> on the foul line. And, and my choice of barbecue sauce. And because of your choice yeah, of barbecue sauce. His stuff is sauces. great, man. Like I said, sugar-free, gluten-free, so you don't have to feel guilty. Now, how many times are you choosing barbecue sauce over other condiments? Like, if you were to choose, okay, and let's just go That's fries, I guess. That's probably the most basic or versatile vehicle for condiments. If yeah, no, nah, I'm not choosing what, barbecue sauce for fries. Yeah, I mean, just what, or whatever you want. It's going to be straight either wings. If I roast some chicken in the oven, then I might put barbecue sauce on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or barbecue things like real barbecue ribs or right. Well, of course, pork or something like that. But other than that, outside of that, now occasionally, sometimes if I want to get jazzy, if I make a burger at home, I might put barbecue, sauce especially on. a smokehouse burger. Right, <laughs> smokehouse. Yeah, I might do that. Um, seven oh four said a rendezvous is a, a, a rendezvous is a restaurant in Memphis. Well, of course you're gonna. Oh, I've heard that in three six mafia rhymes. 
Sue's uh, Rendezvous. That barbecue. makes me happy. Yeah, I would love to go try barbecue sauce mm-hmm. that was in a three-six mafia. Show trip, baby. Um, yeah, Trophy <laughs> Husband. Yeah, let's do. Let's take one to Memphis. Trophy Husband said Stubbs is a bit more peppery. Reminds him yeah. of Texas style, just not as good. Uh, Shade Tree wrote in Rufus Teague. Is the best barbecue sauce? I've seen that one. Um, Joey from Huntersville said the fact that Wes brought in Kraft barbecue sauce automatically voids his barbecue That's what I proud. said. See, I knew somebody was going to try to turn their nose up at it. I'm just saying when you were a kid and there wasn't 80 different sauces to choose from, Kraft was good. Well, I mean, that's because that's all you knew. You that's didn't what I'm know saying. about this it was good, it's a good, barbecue it's a sauce good out there. OG sauce. Uh, George said Sticky Fingers, Carolina Sweet that's Barbecue. Okay. Sticky is, Fingers is okay. Sticky Fingers is solid. Yeah, I'm with you. But the G Hughes, that's getting a lot of love. And the last yeah, few man. that we can get to, I'm trying to look at a couple of these other ones. I don't know, Dreamland barbecue sauce. Never had that. Because I'm a person, I'll go in the grocery store and I will definitely look around and try to try different ones. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Those are a couple of the takes that we have regarding barbecue sauce. Walk, go get you some of that G Hughes, man. You'll thank me. I will. I, I like barbecue sauce, man. I'm down to try it. Not on fries. You're right. We need something a little bit more barbecue style, but that's right. Um, 704 said Kraft is the best store-bought barbecue sauce. Yeah, that's what I'm and then 704 uh, wrote in Rufus Teague. That sauce is awesome. I've had Rufus Teague. Too. All right. Let's talk about the Charlotte Hornets. 22 games left. And even if you're not even close to the halfway point with, again, 22 games left, we still oftentimes like to split the season pre and post all-star break. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think these last 20 games kind of matter because when people, whether it be Zach Lowe, whether it be Tim Bontemps, any NBA national pundit you want to talk about, or us, we're going to reference these stats quite a bit. A lot of us will go to what do the Hornets do pre all-star break? post all-star break. And I think that's why LaMelo still has a little something to prove here, because if we can go back and reference LaMelo, okay, here, here he is in the last 20 games of the season or post all-star break LaMelo shot 45% from the field. He shot 38% from three on high volume on the highest of volumes outside Steph Curry and maybe Damian Lillard, where he's shooting 10 threes per game. It's absolutely ridiculous. I think that's going to matter when we look at some of the bright spots going into next season. And I think you can say that about a lot of different players, but just watching LaMelo, how important do you think these next 22 games are for maybe a LaMelo and also some of the other players on the roster? I mean, I don't think we're going to learn that much more uh, watching LaMelo in these last games. I think it's just, you know, important for him to just come out and just, if I had to point to anything, I would just say to be a little bit more efficient, maybe, uh, go to the basket a little bit more, get to the free throw line a little bit more, and, and maybe show a little bit more want-to on defense, maybe show a little bit more in that area. Um, and I say that because, like, in reading Kobe Bryant's book, he talked about how he talked to Gary Payton about different techniques and stuff, and he started using them. And I said, like, that's that's little things that LaMelo could do, should do. I don't know if he has done it, but just continuing to get better on the defensive end. So if I had to point to a couple of things, it would be just – uh, being a little bit more efficient, and that would include getting to the line more, driving yeah. to the basket a little more, and then just defensively showing a little bit more grit on that end. Well, and if you look at January, LaMelo got to the line close to about four and a half times per game. I mean, I think in a perfect world, you'd like to see more than that, but at least that showed 
he has an ability to get to the charity stripe. I mean, he showed it in an entire month of January. Mm-hmm. February, you're talking about the break, eating away at some of those games, and February is the shortest month of the year. So the sample size, not nearly as good, but there were a couple of games in this month alone where he didn't have any foul shots attempted. There was a couple of them, only one in the month of January. So I, I agree with you. I'd like to see some aggression. And then maybe Steve Clifford, if he's back, he can point to that with LaMelo and say, hey, See what you did post All-Star break? Let's pick that up right from the get-go, and let's see if we can hit the ground running next season. Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer, he had an interesting story as well when he was answering questions from some of the readers of the Charlotte Observer, and he said that Kelly Oubre could return in a week or two, barring some setback. Kelly's been out. The last game he played was December 29th against Oklahoma City. So Gordon Hayward, that's really the only wing that you feel comfortable out there right now. Yeah. Jalen McDaniels is gone. So you can't talk about Jalen at the three spot anymore. Kelly Oubre's hurt. So if you don't have Gordon at the three spot, it's JT Thor and that's about it. And PJ Washington, pretty big time out of position. I, I don't really want PJ playing that small forward position. So if Kelly comes back, you might be worried about Kelly doing too much and allowing the Hornets to get further down the odds of landing Victor Wimbanyama. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, Wes. I think when you're talking about their position in the standings, I, I think they're cemented exactly where they're going to be by the time you get to the NBA draft. Because the Orlando Magic, I think they're seven games up on the Charlotte Hornets right now. That's the next team above them in the Eastern Conference. And then you go to the Western Conference, the LA Lakers, I think, are the third worst team in that conference. Hornets, I can't expect to catch San Antonio. That has done an excellent job losing. I can't expect them to see wherever Houston is. The Rockets are absolutely tanking as much as they possibly can. So I think no matter what, Kelly Oubre can come back. Kelly Oubre can perform pretty well. Gordon Hayward can stay healthy the last 20 games. It's not a, lo- a large amount of time, especially if you're talking about seven games to make up against Orlando. Wes, I think what you see right now in the standings, I think that's what you're going to see come NBA draft time. And that's not bad. 12.5% shot of getting Victor Wembanyama. I think that's exactly when you're going to get when it comes the NBA draft lottery. Yeah, I think so too. And I think uh, that's the main thing Hornets fans would like to see is for them to be in a position uh, to get Wembanyama uh, for them to... Get some wins here or there, some feel good, yay, but, you know, not, not to win too much. <laughs> the most excited you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, not to win too much. I think when Kelly comes back, I mean, what do I make as a return? Not much. I mean, he's going to come in and just add kind of to, you know, what they have, but we just really want to see the Hornets, uh, to be frank, lose and keep, keep themselves in position to get Victor or uh, Derrick Rose Jr., a.k.a. Uh, Scoot Henderson. But you would not be as happy with no, Scoot Henderson. I would not. Well, nobody would be. Would let's be. be. Let's be fair. A lot Even of people me. People would be excited to get him. Well, I'd be excited overall, but not as much as Women Yama. Yeah. Women Yama is something totally different. I do think it's the the reason I, I do think it's important that Kelly Oubre is coming back is because Kelly himself told you that he wanted to stay here in Charlotte, and so these last twenty games, after missing a good portion of the season, I think this is going to do a lot to. For for fans, at least, to figure out if they want him back. If the team, Mitch Kupchak, they're going to have to figure out if they want Kelly back. I expect them to bring back P.J. Washington, who is on the incline of the P.J. coaster that is his entire career. Yeah. So right now he's ascending. We'll see if he descends in the last 20 games. Kelly Oubre, if he plays better in the last 20, does he get his wish granted? Does he get to stay here in Charlotte? 
Or are the Hornets going to decide to move on? He can go to a different team, and I don't know how much money he's going to be making because he missed so much time. And even so, the efficiency, it's not been there for Kelly. I think he's changed a little bit of the way that he played compared to last year, but the efficiency is still what it is. It's it's what he's been his entire NBA career, and so I, I think that's why if he can put together a good stretch of basketball, it'll be really interesting to see what Charlotte decides to do and what other NBA uh, teams decide to do with his impending free agency. Yeah, um, you love that Kelly wants to stay here, and I think he could be a guy at the right price that could continue to help this franchise. Uh, but if, if the price gets a little bit too high, you just have to figure out what it is that you want to do, especially if you do end up getting uh, one of those two guys that you expect to be immediate starters because if you get Scoot Henderson or you get Victor Wimbanyama, these are two guys that you immediately write them in and ink in the starting lineup. And so, you know, that's going to take shots away from some guys and that's going to take opportunities away from some guys. And how will they feel about that? Because we know Kelly likes to put it up. We do. Kelly likes to shoot the basketball. There's no doubt about it. 704 number wrote in, how much does the Hornets winning impact your chances of getting the number one draft pick? If you are a bottom three team, you have a 14% chance. All of those three uh, three teams have a 14% chance of landing the number one overall pick. Where the Hornets are now, and I expect them to finish, they have a 12.5% chance. So it's not that bad of a drop-off if you're the fourth worst team. If you get to five that's when you start to see a little bit of a significant drop compared to the 14 that you have for the first, second, and third worst teams in the NBA. Right now, I'm cool with where they are. I just don't want them to get any lower, and the good news is I don't think they actually will. Let's go to the other professional sports franchise here in the city of Charlotte. Their new head coach, Frank Reich, just spoke to media an hour before we hopped on the air. We'll get all to it. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We're struggling a little bit panic mode right now. I don't know if the air is working in the studio. Usually what happens is Fiddy is over there roasting and decides to bring it all the way down to like what, Wes? He usually brings it down to like 65. It's something like that. I mean, he makes it an icebox in here. Granted, the producer chair is often in a more warm environment than when we than where we are co-hosting the show, but it's hot in here. And I looked at the thermostat, and I don't know if I'm reading it correctly. I mean, it's not very hard to read, so I hope I am. 
looks like it's like 75, 74 in here, but it's set for like 68. So I don't know. Are you holding up okay over there? Or are you struggling? Are you sweating? You know, the thing was, was when I first walked in, I, I knocked it down to like 68 because yeah. I, I, I got behind her and I was like, dude, it's hot as hell. <laughs> and I, I just kind of felt it the last like 15 to 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. But even you were like, or maybe I said something about it being hot as blank in here. Mm-hmm. And then you were, even you were like, Bro, I'm with you. And I was like, <laughs> what I got to sound like. I started telling you to point at the thermostat, and Wes was like, well, I, th- I think Wes got scared. Because, I mean, I-, I want it cold in here. I want y'all freezing. Well, I want I'm, y'all's teeth chattering. I'm finally on the air. able to not wear a jacket or hoodie in here and be able to wear a short sleeve shirt that I can actually, you know, show off. I mean, and not have to be freezing it. But you, you got to show op- off for that. I was about to say, well, you got an open jacket style well, I too, buy so we shirts can see with it. stuff on it for people to see it. So uh-huh. I don't want to have to sit in there with a, a jacket on when I can not have a jacket on. Well, I mean, Wes, you're sitting across from me the entire time. You just want to show off your yeah, t-shirt I mean, to me you for know, three hours. People walk past the thing, and you're, what, it's for me. Like, like women to say, it's for me. I, I like the idea of you showcasing your shirt. Do you see it, everybody behind? Oh, you I know just how women would be like, "Why do you dress up? Why are you dressing like that?" And they're like, "It's for me. It's for me." Well, gummit. Well, what just happened was pretty awkward because as I was doing that, I was showing <laughs> my shirt as people were walking behind the glass, and they're like, "Okay, I've got." I will say, I have a low end theory album cover on my shirt today right. and so i'm th- showing that to people behind the glass and it was yes. weird people I mean, like why they are you probably don't have a clue not those people that were walking yeah. no i don't they think may, though you never know they they might they they might they walk know. past and quote a track you'd be like oh can, they say can i kick it right <laughs> you know what I'm saying? yes you can 704-570-9610 feel free to text in about not only the Charlotte Hornets, if you want to, some people kind of talking about that conversation we just had in the last segment, but also let's get to Frank Reich. He just spoke with media before we hopped on the air, and he spoke about calling plays. We all kind of had that question. I think that was the most interesting question surrounding the staff. Is Frank Reich going to call plays, or is it going to be Thomas Brown, who was one of the later additions, a part of the coaching staff? Here's what Frank Reich had to say when asked if he will call plays for this team. I went into the process of, you know, thinking about calling plays, not calling plays. You know, there is going to be some point that I'm going to pass it off. Um, you know, I know that's going to be hard, and I've been laughing. I've laughed with Thomas about that already. I said, I'm going to pass it off at some point. I don't know when, but, you know, and I think there will be a time and a place, and I think it will become apparent when that is. But, you know, I, I think the right thing for me to do for our team and for our offense right now is for me to continue to kind of use my experience there, but draw on uh, – I'll lean heavy on Thomas. That's a dude that does not want to give up play calling, and you could hear it in his voice. And I think it's fine. I think everything you said is cool. Like that – I want you – to want to have those responsibilities if you're the head coach. And I know we can talk about whether it's nice to hand those off to somebody else while you can focus on a lot of different other aspects of being a head coach. But I do like that Frank Reich wants to have control over this and not be a micromanager. I don't get that sense from Frank Reich. But he's telling you he's going to call plays now. And at some point in his career, at some point when he was asked a bit again about it, whether it would be middle of the season, at the end of this season, if Thomas Brown moves on and becomes a head coach, would he continue to do it? Like, there are a couple of variables at play, but Frank Reich is going to be your play caller. What did you make of his answer, Wes? I mean, in that case, why do you hire an offensive coordinator? Like, I, I don't understand that. Well, every team is going to hire an OC. Right, but I'm just saying, if you know you're going to do the majority... I wouldn't take the job if I was Thomas Brown. If I know you're going to come in and 
you're going to do the majority of the play calling. But, I mean, I get it. Whatever. Well, he was never going to do that in L.A. with Sean McVay over there. Right. And if Frank Reich is telling you at some point. he's not going to do that here. Not this year. But Frank Reich told you at some point he's going to pass it on down. So, with him leaving that door open, are you just saying Thomas should have gone elsewhere yeah. to be OC? I mean, why, why do I want to come here and be an offensive coordinator in theory? Because that's what he is. And now you'll fall into the same boat that the enemy does, what people are saying. You're not really calling the plays. It's Frank Reich. And so, he'll never get the credit he deserves, in my opinion. But anyway, so, I mean, that's how I feel about it. I I don't well, mind we've it talked though. About, you, it seemed like you did kind of want Reich to call plays for a while. What changed? Is it no, Thomas I'm saying Brown's I think presence? that I think that he. I'm I'm saying that no. I've always said that I thought that the head coach should have an offensive coordinator and they should call the plays because I said head coaches have so much responsibilities. We can go to the tape on that. I mean, I think you said that. That's fine. I think at the beginning we were talking about because that was the idea behind f- hiring Frank Reich. Now, just hardcore off what he said. If that's how he wants to run it, that's how he wants to run it. I mean, we'll see if he does have the the offensive genius to be able to generate the requisite points and yards. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think he'll do a good job. It's just to me, if you're going to be that, just be the head coach, offensive coordinator. Also, for Thomas Brown, he probably got a, a pretty substantial pay increase. And also, does does he have more flex or, or what's the word I'm looking for here? Stability here? Because he doesn't know if his coach every offseason is going to flirt with retirement. Like, Frank Wright's here to coach and try to win a Super Bowl. McVay's already won a Super Bowl. We've had back-to-back years where he had to shut down rumors that he was going to retire and go do television. This is a great chance for Thomas Brown to be groomed by a good offensive mind that does seem willing at a certain point once that trust is built to give him the play-calling duties. Well, and plus, it is a promotion for Thomas Brown. So, so you are talking about him not being the offensive coordinator, I believe, with the L.A. Rams. And then he is the offensive coordinator here with Carolina. And at least Frank Reich is saying at some point, I'm going to have to hand down these play calling duties. And Sean McVay ain't going to do that. Like he's the Andy Reid over there in L.A. Right. And so I guess if you if you are if you are asking for the opportunity for Brown to call plays and he himself is asking for that, then maybe. You could have gone to a different franchise. Now, other teams didn't hire him, and Carolina came in with the offer they did. I imagine it was a lot of money because you're talking about David Tepper, who has mentioned quite a bit that there is no salary cap for the coaching staff. And so if you threw the bag at him, and Thomas Brown also sees that there could, in the future, be an opportunity. And again, it depends on if you view the offensive coordinator spot as only being the play caller. Because Frank Reich did tell you he was going to lean on Thomas Brown quite a bit as well, how he really values his opinion. I mean, he hired him. Frank Reich had a hand in hiring him. So do you view the OC as just being the play caller, or do you view him as even if he doesn't call plays, having a big-time impact on the offensive scheme at hand? I mean, I guess in theory that sounds like being offensive quality control or something like that because it's like, okay, what what exactly – you know, are you bringing him in to do if he's not going to call plays? Is he going to help you devise the game plan or like what What all will his responsibilities be? I guess is my question, because it's like, how does that interview process go? You come in and you're like, OK, well, what do you want to do? What's your philosophy? This, that, and the third. Like if if it was impressive enough for you to hire him as an offensive coordinator, then why isn't it impressive enough for him to take the play calling duties and then you guys collaborate like you can okay what he's doing or you can 
collaborate with him on the plan, but let him do the majority of the work and then you kind of okay it and maybe take out or add some things that you might like. But it's like the process, it sounds like the meaning, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we like your philosophy. But I'm going to call the plays, though. And then at some point, you'll be able to do it. But, you know, just keep working on your craft. Like, I, I just... I don't get that. So you just don't. I mean, it's OC is synonymous equally. I mean, it is equivalent to play caller because that that's what it is for you. Like if you're an offensive coordinator, yeah, call if I'm an offensive coordinator. It's my offense. I'm designing it. I'm running the plays. I want to run during the game. But because I knew like when I was at Wakewood coach Grove, like he would go in and sit with the coaches and like, OK, what they were doing. Like, OK, I like this plan. I like what you got going on. And if he had input on a play or different things like that. That's fine, but to be like, I'm going to call the plays, and then at some point, I'm going to let you do it. Like, okay, like, what's the point? Like, just be the head coach, offensive coordinator, have a defensive coordinator, and call it a day. I mean, this is, I guess you could just call for a break in the system of how NFL teams operate, but I mean, there are a lot of teams where the head coach is calling the plays here, and then you have some of these OCs. I mean, we're talking about Andy Reid. We talked about that. We're discussing Sean McVay, where Thomas Brown is coming from. And so if you're discussing Thomas Brown not really being the OC, then okay, sure. I I think there is a role for an OC to have, even if he's not the one calling your first and 10 and scripting exactly what it is you're going to do with your first possession. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing, too, is this is kind of the reason it's part of the reason that you hired Frank Reich. Because he called plays in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and it went downhill once they had awful quarterback play. There's no doubt well, the about Patriots that. The Patriots did it. The Patriots did what? Then, um, what? How did they do it? Belichick this year did offensive coordinator and head coach, right? No, how Matt did they Patricia do was their OC. Oh, no, how did they do it? It was something where they didn't have a coordinator. No, Patricia was. That's the problem. It's that Patricia was the OC, and he was a defensive guy. When that was, and that's not anything that they should have done. And they, okay, and they didn't they really hire a legitimate o, OC. Like, that was the big problem with them. And because once okay, they lost Josh right. McDaniels, okay. that was the problem. Gotcha. Yeah, New England, that is the exact opposite of how you should handle offensive coordinator duties. But let's say Thomas Brown eventually does get play calling duties, or okay. eventually, let's say that he actually leaves and becomes a head coach somewhere. This is exactly what we talked about yesterday. What I like with the way this staff is set up is the fact that you can promote within and get your new coordinator as long as Frank Reich is at the helm. And that's exactly what Frank Reich talked about, um, hiring certain guys like maybe not Thomas Brown if he leaves, but if Josh McCown could be that guy that's gotten head coaching interest, that's something that's very interesting. Here he is talking about Josh McCown becoming that QB coach. What I like about with Josh is he was in significantly different offenses than I was in. So his exposure to offensive football, even though we have very similar careers in some ways, he was exposed to a lot of different styles of offenses that I wasn't. So although we might have a similar philosophy and approach to how to get the best out of a quarterback, the actual uh, what he'll bring to the table systematically as far as our scheme and how we teach and approach with the quarterback, I think is going to be a great benefit. So I, I like the fact that he's bringing in somebody that was also a quarterback, but has gotten interest, even if it was an eyebrow raising way from the Houston Texans. I think Josh McCown is a respected guy, but here's someone I absolutely believe if Thomas Brown is already getting some interest from other teams to be their offensive coordinator, to do whatever. If you still climb up that ladder and Brown leaves to be the head coach and McCown is already on staff, I like having someone that you feel comfortable promoting within. And he said, 
that's exactly what they set out to do. Not only did they want to go get some guys that are so highly thought of, they become a head coach in a couple of years' time, but they wanted to get guys under those coordinators to then take the coordinator job if one of those coordinators leave. Love that mindset going into hiring a staff. Yeah, that's a well-built staff in my opinion. We talked about the depth uh, of this coaching staff and that they did pluck a lot of guys who were uh, looked at as young rising stars so then if those guys do end up leaving if the Panthers do what they need to do that they will have guys in place and won't have to be scrambling or have a big drop off it will still be uh, under the same umbrella if guys end up leaving and they can keep some continuity and so now not only do you have a different offensive mind with Josh McCown who has a very different NFL experience than Frank Reich even though there's some similarities because they were doing the whole backup QB journeyman thing but you're getting a lot of different minds here on the staff whether it be Dom Capers having so much NFL experience to having some of these younger guys like an Ajero Avero who does have control over the defense or a Thomas Brown coming from the Rams offensive system, a whole bunch of Jim Caldwell, who just spoke to media as well. He's a part of this staff. Frank Reich talked about how to have a diversity of mind. That was a key component to why they built the staff the way they did. We all have weaknesses. We all have strengths. So if you get the right character in the room and then you get that diversity of thought and approach, but with the mindset of working together, I just think it elevate each other and, and the player group is a diverse player group. So you get that on your coaching staff. It allows us to serve the players even better, help them in every way we can set them up to win because that's what it's all about. Like the idea. I mean, all we can do is just continue to praise I mean, or continue to give your opinion on this staff. But you and I both think pretty highly of the job that Carolina has done building all of this. Now, the question is, Wes, if we love this star studded coaching staff, how much more pressure is now on the players to carry out the scheme in which is going to be implemented coming into the next season? Yeah, I mean, that's a question that I begged, and I think that it is very true. Now the pressure is certainly on the players because this coaching staff has been so lauded. Everybody thinks that this is uh, such a great, experienced coaching staff with so many bright minds. So a lot of people will be looking at players if they're not executing what they need to be and like, well, look, you have the coaching. Why aren't you able to execute uh, for good or bad? There's going to be a lot of pressure on not only just the players, but on the front office to put the right players in, in on the field as well. I mean, if the players don't perform, I think now we have talked so highly about this staff we're going to start to look upstairs even further with Scott Fitterer because the old regime, there's only one connection, right? Of course, you have the owner. That is the connection, and he'll always be that. And then you have the GM with Scott Fitterer and Suleiman as the capologist, if you will. That is the connector. That is the bridge from the old regime to the new. You know, of course, disregarding Campen and Tabor, who don't have that much power, being offensive line and special teams coach. So I think you're going to be looking at Scott Fitterer a lot if it doesn't work out especially if the defense gets worse or whatever. I think we're going to be looking at them quite a bit. We can talk a little more, especially about the linebacker position. Want to continue that position breakdown as we go later in the show. It's the time, though, for the second Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? Well, it's not just NC State basketball that's winning. Dave Doran's winning as well as the head coach of the Wolfpack. Got a one-year extension on his contract, do you ever do you guys envision him ever leaving NC State? It doesn't look like it at this point. I mean, every year seems like he's 
being called upon by three to four schools that want him to come there and coach, and he still turns them down to remain in Raleigh because I think it's just one of those schools that if you can stay in that eight, nine win range because they've been striving for 10 wins for a while and haven't gotten there, but if you can stay in that eight, nine win range and keep state in the hunt and in the ACC championship conversation, that equals job stability for you. Yeah, how many times has this thing been extended? Because I can remember when Tennessee was going through their option A to option X, trying to figure out who their next head coach was going to be a few years back. Dave Doran was a part of that conversation. And then NC State just continues to add another year on that extension every time he's in coaching rumors, which is what these programs do. And it doesn't mean a whole lot. We just saw Mac Brown get a, another year added to that contract uh, and it's not like you expect <laughs> you do that so much just to fart noise that's all you do, just as your analysis for some of this but yeah it's not anything that means he's going to be cemented there but Dave Dorn has been there for a while been doing a pretty good job and so I'm not surprised to see that in the slightest let's move on Willie P joining us in studio to talk about the upcoming Charlotte FC season that will be starting this weekend. Willie P in studio, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. One, two, three into the four. Allow me to reintroduce myself. Who's this guy? I am Will Pelagic. That is how you intro a guest. Goodness gracious, the dynamic producer that is Josh Fitty Marlowe, welcoming not only his boy, but our boy here at WFNZ. Willie P back in the building, back in the studio, wearing a fresh purple jacket for Charlotte FC. How are you doing, Willie? The the Willpologic Josh Fitty Marlowe buddy cop movie coming to theaters in 2024. Well, I've heard that they dropped the new podcast, Flushing's Finest. <laughs> Can we get a back-to-back photo with you holding some kind of weapon each where you're looking at the camera and you guys just look like the baddest duo out there in all duo history? We have to fight over the glove and the bat is really what has to happen. (laughs) Who would need the bat because... I need the bat. Yeah. (laughs) Can you look badass wearing a glove, though? Like, I don't think you... you I mean, mean, he thinks that Justin Verlander looks badass wearing a glove all the time. Verlander's a little bit different. I guess that's true. But it would I'd fight for the bad as well. This man this man is going after Justin Verland. I like I'd be serious when it comes to like the stalker scenario. If he was in Florida right now <laughs> around Justin Verlander, I I'd be uncomfortable if I was J V. Uh, has he taken the place of Jacob deGrom for you? Yes. Did he? Yeah, because his wife is hotter. Okay, there we go. And that's exactly <laughs> why we stay away from those kinds of conversations. 
You had, um, you had to get him riled up, didn't you? Uh, uh, well, this is what we do. Fiddy doesn't need a whole lot of help getting riled up. He just comes into the studio riled up. I think this uh, this fan base is going to be riled up coming up with this home opener this week because I went to the game last year. I went to the inaugural opener. I mean, Willie was an awesome experience. My question is, how fair is it to expect the same exact crowd that we got last year? Because it's the first, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. the first game in this franchise's existence at Bank of America. It was a huge event. Are we going to get something close to that type of experience with the home opener this year? And if not, just how big do you expect it to be? Well, there's two factors at play here. You got one factor going on about 3,000 miles to our west in Los Angeles with LAFC and LA Galaxy trying to cheat and break Charlotte FC's record in the Rose Bowl for a standalone game. Uh, the traffic rivalry between those two squads trying to break the 75,000 record there. So that part is a one factor. And number two, trying to get the same kind of crowd in there. I, I don't know if that's feasible. One thing that Joe Labou said to me yesterday on Charlotte Sports Today is he said that they're probably hoping to get around 70, which I still think would be a massive accomplishment. Getting to 70 for just a random game or just a regular game, I think still represents the fact that there is a lot of soccer love still in this market. I think there's still a lot of people who you know, look at it as a novelty thing if they didn't go last year. So you still have a little bit of that. But I do feel like if, you, if they get to 70, I think it's a pretty big accomplishment. I love the color scheme. I love that purple is implemented. And plus, it's not like you've had a long wait. I, one thing, being a soccer novice, I did not realize just how long the season is and just how short of a break it's there very is. Very long. But and, I, and this year, it's even longer. It's crazy. I do have to ask, though, just a personal question, Willie. How excited are you? I'm, I'm very excited. I mean, I was out of training earlier today and seeing the guys out there. It, it looks so much different than where we were at this time last year. I think there was a lot of, you know, we're just happy to be there. We're happy to have a team, et cetera, and so on. There were some different things in terms of getting players in market that we didn't know about. Even Carol Svidersky wasn't here for that first game, so you had to have a couple of guys play out of position, and the roster wasn't quote-unquote finished. Now the roster looks incredibly stacked. They did just add in somebody uh, this past weekend who's now being integrated into the team, but outside of that, they look pretty stacked and ready to ready for bear. Well, on MLS.com, the predictions are so mixed. Anywhere from fifth to having them at 13th, which a lot of them did. I got a bone to pick with Bradley Wright Phillips about why, that. Probably. Yeah, yes, why, sir. why such a wide variance with the predictions for this team? I, it, it comes down to the fact that a lot of these players might not necessarily have the profile that some of those analysts are familiar with. For example, a guy like Ashley Westwood came from a side in Burnley which is a Premier League side, at least as, as of last year. And he kind of has a similar profile of a guy like Christian Fuchs, somebody who was a Premier League lifer and has a lot of games underneath his belt at the highest level. But because he played for Burnley, didn't get the same kind of love that Christian Fuchs did playing for Leicester, a team that won the championship when Fuchs was there. And so from that aspect, you're looking more at the team that the guy played for that got relegated down to the championship as opposed to the actual player. And I think Ashley Westwood's going to have a very big impact on things going forward in a positive way for Charlotte FC as a midfielder, either alongside Brant Bronico or alongside Derek Jones, because he's going to wreck shop in the midfield. And a guy like Enzo Capetti also comes in here with a bit of a pedigree for somebody who didn't necessarily score the kind of goals at his last stop that he did. But you look at the way he's looked in the preseason, he scored in every open door match that they've had. So, 
I think it's more about projecting these newcomers and also trying to make sure that what's existing on this squad either makes that next step or plays up to their level that they're supposed to. Yeah, you talk about Capetti. That was a big addition for them. Just how big was that to a franchise like Sean, and how much is he going to help a guy like Swiderski? I, I will use the words of Christian Latanzio. He gives you something different in the striker position, and that's not a slight to Daniel Rios, who I think performed admirably down the stretch last year, or a slight to Swiderski, who handled the number nine position for them for the majority of the year last year. But I think we found over the course of the season that Carroll needs the space in the middle to try and create for guys as opposed to trying to play an out-and-out number nine. Capetti is a number nine. He is a number nine through and through. He told us that from the first time we talked to him uh, about a month and a half ago. He's going to sniff out balls when it comes to the defensive side. He's going to want the service coming from the back end. And he's also going to be somebody who outworks the opposition to keep the ball in the opposition half. We saw that in spades against both Charleston and Birmingham Legion. I'm very, very excited what he can bring. And two, also from a physical standpoint, he's just bigger. Uh, he's huge. So from that aspect, I think he brings a different type of specimen at the number nine than they had at any point last year. Now, who's a player that you expect to have a breakout season that we may not know him now, but will by the end of the season? I'm very curious about Adilson Melanda's development, and he's somebody who Charlotte FC got at the tail end of last year as a center back coming over from Europe, and, and he's French. So from that aspect, there was a little bit of a language barrier last year. The guy that Charlotte FC picked up over the weekend from Portland, Bill uh, Tuiloma, he is French-speaking, as is Pablo Cisniega. So there's a little bit of connection there when it comes to those guys. And also Christian Kalina can speak a little bit, too, when he gets back in the lineup. So uh, I think the language barrier kind of hurt Adilson a little bit. But he's somebody who we saw him out of training today uh, up close and personal for the first time. He's a lot thicker. I know that the loss of Anton Walks is something that has people very concerned about uh, what Charlotte FC's back four is going to look like. If Milanda can play well enough throughout this season, when Guzman Carujo comes back, it might be a fight between these three center backs of who's actually going to play between Tuiloma, Milanda, and Carujo. And you might have to have Guzman maybe ride the bench a little bit, even while healthy. I'm just going to go straight off of what it says in my paper. It's Willie P., voice of Charlotte FC and co-host of the critically acclaimed Flushing's Finest podcast. That was written in there for some reason, just reading it verbatim. First uh, time I've heard that one. Um, well, there you go. I, I can continue to introduce you that way if you want me to. I did want to ask about the offseason overall. Just uh, a simple answer. Just how do you think Charlotte FC was able to address some of the needs that they had this offseason, would you give them high praise? I would give them about a B plus to an A minus when it comes to, to filling the needs. The, the biggest need they had going into the offseason was to get a number nine that you can depend on and figure out what Carol Svodersky's role is. I think they accomplished that with the Capetti edition and moving Svodersky permanently to the number 10. I think they're set at the wing position. I think the midfield is going to be one of the toughest battles to win on a week-in, week-out basis between the triumvirate of Bronico, Westwood, and Derek Jones. I think you can throw Hagar in there also as well because he's somebody who's coming on strong as terms of a breakout player. Ben Bender is also getting himself a lot more uh, stamina and health and bulk when it comes to that. The unfortunate part about it, Walker, is that the back four is still a bit of a question mark. They had to bring back Harrison Offal to, I think, captain the left back position for now. I don't think that's a permanent solution to that position right now for them. And the center back position, while I love what they brought in with Tui Loma and I love that Melanda has come on a little bit, they're very much unproven. So I think 
there is going to be a lot of nervous eyes about where their back four is going to look. I think they're going to score more goals than last year, but they might have some more, you know, three, two, four, three kind of games as opposed to maybe the one nils and two nils we were used to. Final question before we get you out of here. You took a picture that you posted posted on social media of you staring off into the sunset. The light was hitting off of your face in a delectable way. And Josh Fitty Marlowe decided to put that picture up looking across the entire studio. Are you going to have another picture for us that we can put right next to this original picture we have posted up here? Do you want the before and after from PhD? Is that what you want? Well, no, that's honestly, that's a hell of an after photo, man. I mean, you really did PhD justice. I'm not going to lie. And that photo speaks to it right there i just love you looking off into the distance with the sun setting on your eyes that's what that's, I like. that's actually sunrise that's the sun that's sunrise even better even better to that be is, honest that, with you. that is looking over the sunrise over uh <laughs> our uh, neighborhood there in rock hill did julianne take the photo no i took it how did oh you just had a timer i, I, had, the ti- I had the timer on i've i've got a little pillar <laughs> on the uh on the deck there and i just put the phone down <laughs> there and uh a 10-second timer and just took it that way. Yeah, I've with, done that. Yeah. How how much were you feeling yourself in that? I felt very good. Yeah. I was after, it was after getting the Bronico uh, T-shirt. Were you uh, drunk? No, it was, it, was, it was 9 o'clock in the morning. That didn't stop you. Are you in Antigua? It's a little different. The, the bar didn't open in Antigua until 10. Wait, we can't let him get out of here, though, before I ask you about the, the variance in the rankings for them or where they will finish since the season is about to begin. Where is your prediction? What do you think they'll do? I think they could finish. No, I don't want to know what they could do. I want to know what Willie P says today. (laughs) Charlotte FC will finish here. I believe they will be in the playoffs. Where that is, I don't know necessarily, but I I do feel like Uh, they are capable of hosting a playoff. And and the one thing, too, that's going to come out from MLS is that every team in the first round will have the ability to host a playoff game. So regardless of where they're positioned, there will be a playoff game at Charlotte. Top five. I would say middle middle of the pack. Okay. I'd say I'd say six seven. Something All right, like that. there we go. West trying desperately to get something. I gotta get that prediction, man. We we got a playoff berth. That's what we got. I that's think they'll be in the playoffs. Yeah. And and that's the thing that uh, is going to come out. It was broken this morning by the folks at the Athletic. We kind of know this to be true, but looks like the playoffs are going to have nine teams in each conference make the postseason this year for the first time. So that'll be interesting. That's Willie P, our beloved Willie P, voice of Charlotte FC, joining us in studio. We appreciate it. We'll be doing it, I think, weekly throughout the season. And so this is the first hit of that. Love to have you in studio. If, if Fitty's check's clear, that's that's the big thing. 100%. Hey, Fitty, get to paying, buddy, because we want Willie P in every single week. We appreciate the time, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Willie P joining us in here. We will continue to do that again every single week. Get an update on Charlotte FC as the season goes on. One more hour to go on Wesson Walker at Sports Radio 92.7. WFNZ.